So before I offer some reflections um, on the practice, just um, to share with you all that um, tomorrow is holy, which is uh, one of the biggest um, festivals in India. It's the spring festival. So um, some of the, most of the staff are on holiday, but sometimes they still come down in order to uh, bless us with a little bit of coloured powder on our foreheads. <clears throat> so in case you encounter that, just to give you the context um, of what's going on. So yeah, so something about <clears throat> spring and beginnings and um, colour that we can all, uh, we can all appreciate. And I also um, want to just honour and <coughs> acknowledge everyone's practice. So we're coming to um, the end of our second day of, of practising together here. Can everyone hear me right at the end? Mark, you're, you're in charge. <laughs> Good. I have my very own sound test the back of the hall. Yeah, so to acknowledge everyone's practice and, um, and willingness to be here through um, the roller coaster of practice, yeah, the moments that are more easeful and the moments that are more challenging. So I want to begin the, the reflections on, um, with a question, actually. Um, or a series of questions to you. And um, if you just reflect on this short meditation that we, we were doing just now, you know, just sitting here for 15 minutes quietly. Did anyone experience any restlessness? You just need to raise your hand if you did. <laughs> Did anyone experience any um, kind of dullness, low energy, tiredness, sleepiness, anything in that family? Yeah. Did anyone experience kind of a sense of the mind reaching out for something that's not here, like a dessert <laughs> or, you know, a body that has no pain? <laughs> yeah, a few people, yeah. Did anyone experience um, any kind of sense of not wanting something that was present? Yeah, like this pain or this mind or this hard cushion. Yeah, a few people, yeah. And did anyone experience any sense of confusion or doubt or kind of what am I doing here or what am I doing, period? <laughs> um, where am I? All of that, yeah. So a few hands there. So we can see, hopefully you were kind of looking a little bit, you can see that we're in good company with these. We're in good company. And maybe we can take a moment to just appreciate that. And probably if we reflect a little bit further back in our memory, even if we didn't um, experience all of those in this last 15-minute sitting, it's quite likely that we've tasted them <laughs> um, just over the day today. Yeah, All, each of those flavors that I've just mentioned, which in the, in the teachings, they're called the five hindrances, um, I don't particularly like the word, word hindrance, but I will use it um, with a lot of caveats through, through the talk, hopefully, that will kind of uh, give, give it uh, a more rich meaning. Does, is, does the word hindrance make sense to people? It's not a very common word in English. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. So we can say a hindrance is something that gets in the way. Yeah. So sometimes we can say an obstacle. Um, yeah, it gets in the way, it slows us down. Yeah. 
And so these five hindrances, and I'll just, I'll just repeat them um, now in, in, in the order um, that they're usually spoken of. The first is um, sense desire. So that wish, that movement to have something that isn't here. Yeah. And it can be, um, you know, the next meal. It can be the desire for the bell to ring, <laughs> the meditation to be over. Yeah, it can be um, the desire, the movement towards a fantasy of the mind. Yeah, something that's happening in the mind. These are just some examples. But basically, that if we can feel, it's that movement towards something that isn't here. And it kind of, maybe you can see where I'm doing it with, with the body. It kind of moves us away from what is here into somewhere else. Yeah, it pulls us. And it's kind of um, partner in crime. <laughs> the other side of that coin is aversion or ill will, which is the pushing away, the movement away from what is here. Yeah. Which, you know, can be for, you know, a situation in our lives. It can be someone that we remember or that is here, you know, that we kind of... Um, and again, it can be a physical sensation. Maybe a whole variety of things. The third is, is that sense of dullness or drowsiness or low energy. Yeah. In the body and in the mind. Yeah. Usually they, it's connected, it comes together, but it can sometimes be more prominent in the body. That sense of falling asleep. Anyone? I haven't actually seen much of this in the hall, but I'm sure it's been happening. <laughs> I experienced this. <laughs> yeah. So the low energy. Yeah, that kind of in the body or the low energy in the mind. Yeah, when the mind becomes really dull and fuzzy and we're kind of moving in and out of states that we're not sure if we're awake or asleep. Yeah. And it's very, um, all of these are actually very common at the beginning of a retreat. The fourth is what is called restlessness and also worry. So it's the restlessness in the body and restlessness or agitation in the mind. Yeah, which often manifests as worry or anxiety. Yeah, so the extreme form of that would be that feeling of like, I need to get out of here <laughs> right now. You know, I'm just dying to kind of flee from the hall. Yeah, like the sense of, oh, I need to move. Yeah, that's the extreme form, but it has the whole spectrum. And I have to tell this story. I read it recently. Um about an extreme version of this restlessness and worry, which can become like a real obsession. And this is a true story from a meditation center in the U.S., um, where it's a meditation center for long-term retreat. And so people are long, on long personal retreats, yeah? And they got a note from one of the yogis asking them to um, contact the nearest airport and ask them to reroute the flights so they no longer passed over the meditation center because they were really disturbing this person's meditation. <laughs> so this is kind of an extreme example of how, you know, aversion and this restlessness, worry, quality come together and become a real obsession. And we, we, we start to really think this is real. Yeah, and this is true. And this is, you know, mine. And this is like, yeah, those, those planes should really fly somewhere else <laughs> because they're disturbing my meditation. It's kind of an extreme example of it. We can really appreciate that here we don't have those issues, right? Such a luxury of silence. And the fifth, um, the fifth hindrance is, is um, referred to as doubt. Um, we can experience it as confusion um, or kind of a sense of, of being lost. Yeah, It can be doubt in that sense of I don't know what to do or I can't do this. Yeah, doubt in ourselves, doubt in the teachings. Yeah, but usually, um, yeah, and it, it affects us um, through making us either paralyzed, yeah, kind of really frozen, or really kind of creates this real spin in the mind, real spin in the mind of going round and round and round in circles around something. Yeah. And I think sometimes for me it feels like actually feeling into how it feels is, is more useful than talking about it. You know, there's, there's either the sense of being frozen or the sense paralyzed or the sense of this really intense spin. Yeah. 
And it, it really um, freezes both of these, stop us from being able to engage with practice or to attend to what is arising in, in our lives. Yeah, whether it's the sense of being frozen, paralysis, or the sense of spinning around energetically. So these are the, these are the five, and I find it really helpful to acknowledge them and to name them, um, and to also um, understand that um, they are very human, very human um, arisings, very human manifestations. They arise in our experience most of the time, um, we're not conscious of them. And they, um, this is a Pema Chodron, for those who are familiar with her, she uses the words, we get hooked. Yeah, they hook us like a fish that latches on to a hook. Yeah, we get hooked by them and they become uh, the reality that we experience. Yeah, and we no longer can see, discern between the hindrance, which is a mind state that is arising a perception that is arising, and actual experience. Yeah, we, can, we can't tell the difference. We really get hooked. We really latch on, get trapped in that. So remembering that this is human, really, really helpful. You know, because part of that, Getting hooked is the taking it personally. This says something about me or my practice. You know, this restlessness is a problem and it's the problem is me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not good enough. I'm not doing this well enough. I don't know how to do this. Yeah, and if we can remember, this is not about me. It's not personal. It's an arising of, through the mind, of the mind, and it's human. It's what human minds do. Yeah. And I never know, you know, I don't think, for me it's comforting. I don't know if it's comforting for everybody, but um, the Buddha's really clear about these. These hindrances arise in the human minds right until the end of the path. Yeah. So everyone experiences them until they're the Dalai Lama. Okay. Everyone experiences them. Really, really human. So those, you know, those beings who really inspire us, you know, and most of them also know this. Yeah, it rises in the mind. And yet our tendency is to take them personally. And as we take them personally, we actually make them stronger. This is also really interesting to, to explore and to see. Making it mine hooks us even more firmly onto that hook. It's mine, it's about me. And one way that it does that is that it shrinks the space that we embody. Yeah. And so we have less clarity, less um, perspective. So part of, our, um, part of our exploration through practice, part of our exploration here together, is to see how we can play with that, how we can shift that from um, taking something personally to an attitude which is interested yeah, in this human manifestation and that is willing to experiment and to be playful and creative. Yeah, so that we can see more clearly. So that relationship and that attitude is really, really key. Yeah, we can really kind of shift our weight to that. It's not what's arising, but it's how we relate to it, and that's where our learning is. Right, the the how we relate is also not about you know we're doing it right, we're doing it wrong. It's about this is where the juice is. Yeah, this is where we can bring creativity, we can bring playfulness, we can bring interest. And when we cultivate that kind of relationship, then we see that what is called a hindrance, and this is part of why I don't like that word, 
becomes a doorway. Yeah. It actually can lead us to deeper wisdom, to more understanding, to more depth. Does that make sense to people? It turn, changes from a problem to an opportunity. And I was just reflecting on this just before I came in, and I thought how in my, in my own practice, and this is really something that's kind of really kind of in the last few months, this, real, this has really become such a fire, you know, this love of these teachings and these, these opportunities. <coughs> Actually, okay, where's the low energy? Where's the dullness? And what happens there? You know, how can I how can I attend to that? What can I bring to that? So there's a lot of richness, there's a lot of possibility. So I just want to give four key points here and then you can stop listening. I'll I'll talk for probably quite a long time after that. <laughs> but four key points, <laughs> yeah. That you know, see, see if, they, if, they, if they land and if they resonate and if they stay, even one of them. So two of them I think I've already said, or maybe all of them I've already said quite a lot. The first one is that nothing is inherently a problem. Yeah. So desire, aversion, yeah, low energy, too much energy, doubt, they're not inherently a problem. The problem is not in them. Yeah, and really, if we can remember that. The second is that this is not personal. Yeah, it's not about who you are. It's not about who I am. The third is that our response, when these hindrances are present, there's always a, t- a contraction that arises. And we can become more familiar with that. Yeah. What happens in the being, in the body, in the mind, when there's low energy? And usually there's a contraction through the reactivity. Okay, like, which is part of that hooking. And the fourth is um, what happens, being interested to see, what happens when I bring interest and experimentation to this? What happens when I bring interest and experimentation to this? So the Buddha spoke a lot about these um, Let's change their name now, these five friends. Um, the Buddha spoke a lot about them. And um, there's one uh, particular sutta where he, he gives instructions on how to engage with these five friends. And um, he, he kind of, as, as the suttas are kind of written, this, it's repeated with each one, but I've just kind of, I'm just going to say friends, yeah, for these, Okay. So the Buddha says, if a friend, he actually says hindrance, but we're going to say friends, is present, one knows there is a friend arising. If the friend is not present, one knows there is no friend arising, no hindrance arising. And one knows how the unarisen friend can arise, what conditions it. And one knows how the arisen hindrance can be removed and how a future arising of the friend can be avoided. Okay? So I'm going to um, break that down, yeah, so you don't need to remember that. But I like the, I like the texts. So we'll just break it down into five steps. So recognizing what is here when it is present. Yeah, that's the first step, recognizing it when it is present. When desire is present, we know desire is present. When aversion is present, we know aversion is present. 
Yeah, when restlessness, I think restlessness was the most popular friend here in the hall this evening. <laughs> when restlessness was pre- is present, we know restlessness is present. And when we think about our experience, we can see how radical this is. Yeah? Because usually if restlessness is presence, present, all we know is I need to move. Yeah? I need to move. This is unbearable. Familiar to anyone? (coughs) I can't stand this. That's what we know. But what happens when we acknowledge, ah, this is restlessness? Okay, so that's first step of recognizing. Because if we don't recognize, we're lost in that (coughs) energy that each of these five has very, very strong. We're hooked. And when we're aware, when we recognize, when we acknowledge, this is when this becomes um, a friend on the path to awakening. Yeah, a gateway, a doorway. And the the Buddha has um, a simile that I I really love, and I I almost always use the simile when I speak about the hindrances, which really, um, for me, really gives us a a sense of how, um, when they are present, how they um, affect our experience, how they take over the experience, or how we get hooked. So the simile is of, um, of the mind being like a clear forest pool. Yeah, so a pool of water. That's very, very still and very, very clear. And it's so clear that we can see right into it, yeah, right to the depth. And in the simile, the Buddha says when um, desire is present, it's as if someone threw, this is very appropriate for holy, someone threw a colored dye (laughs) into the water and the water is completely colored, yeah. So desire colors our perception. Everything that we see, we see through that. When aversion or ill will is present, it's as if the water is boiling, steaming, bubbling. That sound like your mind when there's aversion in it? Yeah. And so all we can, then all we're aware of in that moment is of that movement of the anger, that bubbling of the boiling. When, um, when there is dullness yeah, or low energies, as if the pool of water is covered over by um, vegetation that's kind of choking it, yeah? you know, like it's, there's no oxygen, algae and completely stagnant, yeah. When there is restlessness, it's as if um, there's a wind constantly whipping the surface of the water, yeah, so there's these waves, yeah, and so again, we can't see what is there, yeah, we can only see this movement, the waves, and when there is, when there is doubt, it's as if um, someone had stirred the bottom of the pool, so it's all muddy and murky, yeah, all muddy and murky, and again, we cannot see. So I I love this simile because I feel like it gives such a clear sense of how the mind is affected when we're hooked, yeah. When we cannot differentiate between the pool of water and what is affecting it, yeah, the dye or the boiling of the water, or the murkiness of the mud. We cannot tell the difference. And so that is why um, recognizing the hindrance already makes a difference. Changes, we suddenly see a bigger picture. Not just the color of the dye, but there's a pool here. And there's a dye in it. Does this make sense to people? Yeah, okay. So that's the first step. The second step is to know when a hindrance or when a friend is absent, is not there. This is my favorite. (laughs) Because 
we tend not to see this. Yeah. We're aware when there's a problem. But we don't notice the moments when it's not there. They kind of completely go under our radar. And this is available to us even when we're under um, what we'll call a hindrance attack. Because yeah. usually one thing about these hindrances, these friends, is that they come in groups when usually there's more than one <laughs> present at a time. And even when that is going on, there will be moments of respite, but we miss those yeah, because they're less intense. They have less attraction for our attention. So we miss those, and then we miss the respite, we miss the opportunity to rest. Yeah? And we get a distorted view of what is happening. We think, oh, that whole sitting was restless. No way. Yeah? You know your mind. <laughs> yeah? You know the mind cannot do the same thing all the time. Yeah? So, yeah, most of the time. But maybe there were moments in there that weren't. Yeah? Or we'll be restless and the bell rings and we go out and we do our walking meditation and there's no restlessness or there's less restlessness. But we just don't pick up on that. Yeah? We don't pick up on that. And what happens when we notice it? Ah, the absence of restlessness. Yeah? So an opportunity for rest and rejuvenation. A balancing, yeah, balancing of this tendency of the mind to notice the negative. Yeah, balancing that out. And also um, a building up of our own experiential confidence in our practice. Yeah. Actually, no, it's not just that. Yeah. It's not just aversion. It's not just difficulty. Yeah. When we really kind of prioritize and make an intention to also notice when the hindrances are absent. So that was step two, and there's three more steps. And these three steps, just to say one thing that's really interesting about them is that they emphasize um, the understanding of the conditioned nature of our experience, that any experience is conditioned. Okay, So they emphasize this, and this is what they're looking at. So the first one is to know what conditions feed Desire. What conditions feed tiredness, dullness? Yeah. Kind of opening to the fact, okay, this is here and it's conditioned. There's things that feed it, there's things that support it. What are they? What are they? So we open to see that. So, for example, um, you know, a condition for desire is our unconscious belief that. Pleasant things will give us lasting satisfaction. <laughs> yeah? It's really important. And when we, when we acknowledge that condition, we can ask ourselves, is that true? In my experience, has anything pleasant or unpleasant given me lasting satisfaction? But that's an underlying condition for desire. That belief that this, whatever this is, is going to give me Lasting satisfaction. Yeah. Can you repeat that bit? I didn't hear it. Just the last bit I said. That a condition that a condition for desire is the unconscious belief that something can give us lasting satisfaction. Yeah. That my happiness can come. Lasting happiness can come from this. I don't want to be mean to the Brits, but for most of us, including me, non-native Brit, cup of tea. Yeah. So much. I keep teasing Mark and Maylin about that. I'm waiting for the Brit rebellion. 
we want real tea. <laughs> I hope that's not too much teasing for the Brits here. But, you know, that sense of, ah, this is, you know, this is, this is going to make me happy forever. And when we look at it, you know, it's an underlying condition. This can bring some sensual pleasure, can give me lasting happiness. When we look at aversion, um, a a condition for aversion is that intuitive um, response or reactivity that we have to um, get away from the unpleasant, right? So the unpleasant is going to give us lasting unhappiness. That's the, that's the condition there. It's that belief, yeah, that belief. It's very, very, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking about it, but it's, it's actually really pretty serious, yeah, pretty serious stuff for us. So... Both the dullness, drowsiness, and the restlessness are um, conditioned by an imbalance of energy and calm. Yeah, again, really helpful to know that. There's too much energy, I feel restless. There's too much calm. Yeah, did anyone ever tell you you could have too much calm? Yes, you can. Too much calm, we fall asleep. Yeah, if it's not in balance with the energy. So these are conditions. And if we remember this isn't personal and we can be interested in the causes, I've just given examples of causes and conditions here, um, then that offers us um, a possibility of a response yeah, and an engagement. If I know what conditions this movement of getting hooked, which is really, really strong, very compulsive, if I go to the conditions, if I go to the causes, that can offer some possibility of relating well. So if we're interested in the conditions um, that um, support something to arise, we're also interested in the conditions that support the same thing to uh, pass, right? So just like there's conditions that support desire to arise, there'll be conditions that support desire to dissolve. Yeah, can we see that? Am I losing you? You're falling asleep? A few jokes? <laughs> Something to raise the energy? We need Nathan for that. So what are the conditions that underlie the, the passing of the hindrance or the loosening of the hindrances or the changing of the relationship to the hindrance? So there's quite, there's quite a lot of them, um, but I'm just going to give some general ones here. Um, so the first one I also men- already mentioned, that, that recognition, the first step, that recognition of this is what's arising already changes the arena, yeah? already weakens the momentum yeah? because there's more space. Turning the focus, this is where the interest comes in, we turn the focus to the appearance of this movement itself, to the desire, to the aversion, to the restlessness, rather than to the story that's unfolding. Yeah, I want a cup of tea. So rather than the cup of tea, I'm being very cruel again, I'm going to be interested in that movement of desire, that feeling of being pulled towards. Yeah. I'm shifting the focus from the story to the movement, the internal movement in the being. Seeing the impermanent, again I've said this, but seeing the impersonal and impermanent nature of what is arising, it is not going to last. Yeah. It's not going to last. It's changing. It's changing. And it's not about me. You know, seeing that sometimes just, um, you know, not me. Yeah? Meeting the hindrance, not me. Yeah? You're not me. It's that reminder. Yeah? It can open up, can loosen up 
those conditions for the arising of it. And then experimenting with ways of relating. What happens if I open to it like this? What happens if I breathe a certain way? What happens if I bring metta in, which some people are already doing, others may not be familiar with yet, but will bring that in more fully from tomorrow. Yeah. What happens if I kind of change, if I, if I say, okay, you're allowed to be here, instead of that struggling against? Yeah. We start experimenting with ways of relating. So knowing, exploring, what are the conditions that we can, yeah, that support this hindrance to pass and to move. And the main ones I would encourage you to play with is playing with the breath, yeah, and playing with the space, yeah, breath and space for all of them. So if there's a lot of restlessness, what happens if I, if I um, breathe more fully, and pay attention to the out-breath. If there's dullness, what happens if I breathe more fully and pay attention to the in-breath? If there's doubt, what happens if I breathe in a way that kind of fills up the whole body and creates space and groundedness? We can play with the breathing. That's one uh, really helpful way of doing that. And the other is playing with a sense of space. Yeah, like again, if there's, with most of these, as I said, there'll be a sense of contraction. The space will get smaller. We can sometimes feel it in the body. The body actually starts to shrink and contract. Um, You can feel it a lot with physical pain. Yeah, there's pain in the body and there's actually a physical contraction around that. Yeah, and a mental contraction around that. So there's this shrinking. So then we're interested in what can open up the space. That can be the breath, that can be a sense of the whole body, can be the adjustment, like noticing what the body's doing and seeing if we need to adjust the posture and open it. Yeah, realign, open the chest, expand the awareness. Yeah, sometimes open the eyes, yeah, to get a sense of more space. All of that. So space. Yeah, what can bring spaciousness? And I'll let you play with this. You know, is what can bring space? And how can I use the breathing or the body sense? Yeah, two kind of really key areas that you can play with and explore with to, to attend. And step five, which is where we all want to be, is to avoid <laughs> the future arisings of these things that we don't like (laughs) so that's step five what would condition that and actually what would condition that is exactly what we're doing here yeah the practice that we're doing here getting to know this getting to know the conditions getting to know the causes um developing confidence in our capacity to attend to experiment to play with seeing what happens when we do that yeah, learning from my own experience. What happens when I bring interest? Yeah, what happens when I bring interest? And cultivating antidotes. Yeah, might put some of these on the notice board tomorrow. But you know, for example, antidote for aversion. Aversion is not figured strongly in the talk, even though that's my own personal hindrance. Um, so. Cultivating metta, again, that was talking loving kindness, friendliness, welcoming as an attitude. When we do that over time, that loosens, yeah, loosens the, the roots of aversion. So what these five steps point to is um, they really point to the conditioned nature of our experience. Yeah, they really point to the conditioned nature 
conditioned and selfless nature of our experience, um, of all phenomena. So things arise with certain conditions and they pass when those conditions pass or when other conditions come forth. And this is really helpful to remember. This can become a helpful attitude yeah, to remember. This is conditioned. Yeah, this is conditioned. It's the dye that someone threw in the pool of water. <laughs> it's not here to stay. It's not who I am. Yeah, it's conditioned. So what can I learn? And what can I see that will support more wisdom, more understanding? Yeah, it's an opportunity to do that. So in recent times, um, some more contemporary Dharma teachers have taken this list of these five steps that the Buddha talks about in the Sutta, and they, you may be happy to hear, have made an acronym that's easy to remember <laughs> out of them, um, which is, is much more actually well-known nowadays than these five steps in <laughs> the original teaching. Um, and it's called RAIN. Who's heard of RAIN before? Yeah, told you it was popular. So, um, so the four steps that make up rain, it's condensed into four from the five. Recognize, yeah, that's the, first, the same. Yeah, recognize what is here. Yeah. And then accept. This is really important. They've pulled that out. Yeah. Accept that desire is here. Accept that aversion is here. This is what's here. Yeah. When I accept, I stop fighting. Yeah. When I stop fighting, I stop feeding. And I also release my energy and bring in more space to actually attend skillfully. Does this make sense to people? This is very, very helpful to remember. Yeah. So it's not acceptance in the sense of, all right, nothing to do about it. I'm going to sleep right now. Yeah. But it's acceptance as, okay, this is here. I'm not going to pretend it's not. I'm not going to try and ignore it. I'm not going to try and make it go away. Yeah. But I'm going to sit down with it, have that cup of tea, and see what's possible. Yeah. Stop struggling and free up the energy to respond skillfully. So that's recognize, accept, R-A. The I is investigate, which is kind of where the Buddha's steps are mostly, yes, they're mostly there in the investigation. Yeah. So in the sutta, he talks about conditions. What are the conditions for the arising? What are the conditions for the passing? Um, but another way of saying this is, can I get to know this human manifestation? <laughs> can I get to know aversion? Can I get to know restlessness? Um, can I know what makes it up? What is it made up of? How does it feel in the body? How does it feel in the mind? Yeah. How does it affect my perception of experience? And what are the conditions that support it to arise and to dissolve? Yeah. And, and this is the you know, investigation and experimentation and creativity. What happens if I breathe a certain way? What happens if I open up the space? What happens if I bring in kindness to this experience? And then the N at the end is non-identify. Yeah, non-identify. Yeah, not taking it personally. <laughs> this is not who I am. This is not who I am. This is not who you are. So can I, as Nathan was saying yesterday, include it, yeah, instead of um, making it a problem? Yeah, putting it outside of the realm of what can be included. So I want to give a, a kind of, a, just, um, 
to run through this with a concrete example, okay, that some of you may experience today. And um, I just noticed that, of course, my example is about aversion. I told you that was my personal best friend out of these five. So you may have noticed that today's been a little bit cold, somewhat wet, and uh, for some of us, maybe not our ideal kind of weather conditions for being here. So I'm, I'm assuming that. So if, if that's not your, the case for you and you loved it, then just imagine you're me and uh, you're experiencing some aversion to the weather. And so it's interesting to see what comes up, yeah? Cold, wet, cloudy. Um, and what arises is aversion. And with the aversion, remember I told you they come together. There'll be worry, yeah? There'll be... Um, Desire for the opposite, yeah, sunny weather, let the sun come back. Um, and there'll be doubt, yeah, that sense of like, mm, what do I do now? How do I deal with this? You know, this kind of like loss of life energy that comes with the doubt. So what happens when we recognize, yeah, so the whole thing kind of becomes, everything becomes, mm, you know that feeling that everything becomes, mm. you know, it's just, mm. it's not really, it's just, uh. you know that? So everything becomes like that, yeah, and everything becomes like that. But what happens when we kind of pop out of that, mm, and kind of think, ah, it's aversion. It's aversion. It's just aversion. Just aversion. happens when we recognize that's all it is yeah it it becomes less miserable does that make sense to you guys do you feel it i can feel it right now even talking about it <laughs> becomes less miserable because it doesn't it's no longer the whole of the experience. It's no longer the whole. There's something here. Ah, it's a version playing out. Yeah, it's a version playing out. So it becomes less serious. Yeah, less serious of a problem. And then if we can accept that a version is here, this is what's arising. This is what's arising. Make a great example in a Dharma talk. Joking. <laughs> but we accept that this is what's arising. Yeah. There's a version arising. Yes, there's a contractedness in the body and the pushing away. It's just it's here. And what if and, and of course the aversion itself is unpleasant. <laughs> yeah. So that adds to the unpleasantness. Okay? So there's something unpleasant, the cold and the wet. It's not very serious today, but let's pretend it was more serious. So, um, And then there's aversion to that, and then the aversion itself is unpleasant as well. Yeah. So when we accept some of that extra unpleasantness, it's no longer there. Yeah. Because we're not pushing away. Yeah. Aversion is unpleasant. The reaction to the aversion is unpleasant. We're not pushing it away. So in letting go of that struggle, in the letting go of that struggle, there's release and there's more space and there's less tension and contraction in the body. And then we bring attention to it. We investigate. What does this aversion feel like in the body? What does it feel like in the mind? Yeah, what happens if I bring in some humor? Yeah, a good friend. Yeah. What happens if I bring in some soothing yeah, to the being? Yeah, we can play with it in different ways. Breathe in a way that's soothing. What happens if I bring in space? Yeah. What happens if I just see if I can be with it for one breath? Yeah. One breath. It's aversion to the weather, aversion to an unpleasant sensation in the body. Just one breath. What happens? 
What happens if I notice the impermanent nature of it? This is also part of the investigation. If I see our aversion comes and goes, it goes stronger and weaker. The feeling of cold or the pain in the body changes. Yeah, stronger and weaker. Then what happens if I remind myself that this is not personal? It's not about me. Not about me. So much of the time we get caught up in that sense of, you know, and I I think it's great to bring it out into the open because it's so ridiculous (laughs) that we have to laugh, you know. um, This whole weather thing is about me. Right? It's about what I like and what I don't like. And uh, there's this guy called the McLeod Gange weather geek who gives these wonderful descriptions of the weather patterns around here. And, you know, this is, this is something that's happening in, like, Afghanistan. And we're, the, we're feeling the effects. <laughs> so is it really about me? Is it really about me? And we can start playing with that non-identify. Is it really about me? And one thing that I find really helpful reflecting on these so-called hindrances is that we meet them on the cushion, we meet them in our formal practice, but they exist within us all the time. Yeah, They are in every aspect of our life most of the time unconscious, and yet they have an enormous impact. If we think about our own lives and if we think about the world, the impact of desire on the planet, the impact of aversion and how people treat each other. So these are everywhere, and when we we learn um, to meet them differently, even for a moment here on the cushion, then we're doing the work that needs to be done for our own well-being and for the well-being of the world that we live in. It's that simple and it's that profound. We meet these things on the cushion, but they're present in human beings, including ourselves, all the time. So it's, yeah, we can ask ourselves, is this worth... Is this worth giving time to, for me? See what, what response comes. So, let's stop here for tonight. And just have a moment of silence together to, to close. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.